this is Steve Balton, and welcome back to My Turning Point, where today's guests are Cruella. It was an honor, as always, to sit with them and talk about their new music coming out early in 2020. Hope you enjoy the interview as much as we did. So for the two of you, what would you say is a turning point moment in your life that led, you know, to to being here in this we were <laughs> <laughs> this very moment can ours be different yeah of course Do, does something come to mind immediately yeah I was gonna say they have to be different because we're not like holding hands every step of the way we are two individuals <laughs> that make up a unit so and I think that's what makes our project so creating so unique but yeah go ahead no, if you've thought of no, this, no, 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 I'm thinking there are too many that thread together. There are a lot. Like as soon as you started talking, all these things started coming to mind because I think there isn't ever one turning point in someone's life, but there's probably one really intense one. Um, yeah, I think typically what happens, of course, it's a series of moments, but there is one sort of defining thing that you can look back on and be like, okay, this is, but like I said, not everybody's picked one as well. And it's funny because uh, typically it's a one person interview, but like I did Brandon and Mike from Incubus last week who are friends, oh, right? One of our favorite bands. They're yeah. the nicest guys in the world. And it's interesting because they grew up together. Mm. So Mike picked one and then Brandon sort of went off that and remembered it and all of this. Oh, wow. So it's very, you know, so however you guys want to answer the question is fine, but it's interesting because, you know, of course, every single person is going to have a, a different mm. one. Why don't we start with our obvious collective one, which is six, eight, ten? Yeah, and that's it, actually not what I was thinking. But for yeah, for, one. for the together one. Yeah, for yeah. A together oh, one. Oh, okay. Because I feel like when we when we talk about our dedication date, we have it tattooed on our necks. It is such a pointed moment. But I don't think I progressed as a human intensely in that moment. I think it was after. Um, our previous member left and we went through a huge lawsuit and everything um, kind of blew up a little bit. But I think that I changed so drastically and you did too from that moment on. And you can talk about all the negative things, but the most positive thing I can think of from that is that my level of empathy and compassion for people grew so much because when you go through something, it makes you think about all the other people who have experienced um, shame and bullying and all the other things that come along with it. And it makes you feel like you finally get it. And you, you don't want to call people those names. You don't want to shit talk people in the same way anymore. You don't want to gossip because gossip is like the most swampy muck you could be walking through half the time. So I think that was a really big, intense, drastic mm. change for me. That was a turning point, and that wasn't... When I think about turning points, a lot of the time they're self-imposed. They're like mm. weird challenges or things I'll put myself through because I know once I get through whatever that obstacle is, I'll come out with some sort of self-realizations. But yeah, adding to what you asked me meant about our former member, um, the parting of ways with him, I think it really... It was such a chaotic point where our whole, or I'll speak for myself, my whole life felt like it centered around the identity of Jahan of Cruella and thinking that that entire little, me, that mini empire that the three of us built together was just crumbling and the foundations, you know, was there was no longer any stability to the foundation of this project. It kind of made me realize like, oh, this can't be forever and we should just bail and leave and quit and, and go on a different path and I wanted to give up. So... It, it really showed that like staying persistent and 
kind of, you know, staying, you know, swimming through those murky waters of, you know, dealing with knowing that like probably over like 50% of the fans have abandoned you because they think that you're, you know, all sorts of these things that they're reading from like stupid headlines and stuff knowing and it kind of forces you to go inward and you're like where is my value and my sense of self-worth and my self-image my image of self no and who is that when it's not under the influence of all these people because mm-hmm. when you're so used to just love and praise and people saying oh Cruella's dope you guys blew up and I love alive it's like that's all feeding your sense of self so it becomes to be very positive but when you strip that away you have to learn how to be how to you know, be have inner strength to be able to get through those positions when there is an external validation. So yeah, I would say that was a turning point in that way where it's like, okay, we have to really go inward and have the courage to believe in ourselves as individuals. But I would imagine moment. as well, it's interesting because I, I think when you go through something like that, and especially if there's a desire to want to give up, I think that it's also one of those moments then where you can decide why are you doing this? So it's like you very much have to figure out like what your level of commitment to the music. Yep. Oh, absolutely. I actually think about that all the time because I feel like I was very, very, as as a teenager and like young adult, very ego driven. So that was the motivation behind a lot of like, and a lot of it came from just like, you know, the little girl who wants to feel special and her and feel it, have her talent validated and reasons that I'm just like, it's just human. I'm not going to shame myself for that. But as you kind of strip that away and you don't need that as much anymore, you're like, okay, what really drives me in this life? I don't know. Yeah, 100%. Because post-lawsuit breakup, it was like I had this chip on my shoulder. I had something to prove. And then when all the pain kind of like recedes away, you think about, wow, I'm actually still doing this. I'm still pushing through and I don't have the chip on my shoulder anymore. And now I just do it because it's enjoyable and I love this and I feel like I've I've made this commitment and I have this dedication in my heart to something so much bigger than what I feel and so yeah it's so true it really checks you it checks you fully well I would imagine as well it's interesting because you mentioned you know with the idea of like you know then over 50% of the fans leave or whatever but it's also something that you know looking at the the glass half full, the 50% who stay. Yeah. I imagine it's also something that it's, it becomes even more rewarding. And, and when you play live, there is that that enjoyment that is, because you know it's, it's you know, it, it's, like I talk about with artists all the time, right? You know, we were talking about Incubus before. Like, number one records and platinum records, they're fucking great. But they will never compare to an artist coming up and saying, or to a fan coming up and saying to you, oh my God, this song saved my life. Mm. You know, yeah. so for you guys, talk about then that, that, you know, sort of enjoyment and how things changed for you, knowing that it became a deeper commitment with the fans and it wasn't, you know, and obviously it was an interesting thing too, because I've talked about with so many artists, there was the quote unquote EDM bubble, mm-hmm. you know, which has faded away. But as I've talked about with artists as well, what's been nice is it didn't fade away to the level that everybody expected it to, you know? Oh, it's still there. It's still rocking. It goes through ups and downs, like any other genre. But uh, of course, but I mean, what I mean with that is like it, not the same mainstream accessibility. It definitely. Yeah, yeah. So it's not there's yeah, Of course, like it's funny. I was talking to Pasquale not long ago, and he was pointing out because I've known him for like twenty years, right? And he was saying we're getting our biggest crowds ever, wow. but you don't hear it anymore. Like you're you're not hearing collaborations with the pop artists anymore. Mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. and I'm not going to name any because I'm not trying to call out any of the pop artists, but those ones who were like for five minutes, like 
oh, cool, well, wait, now I love the, you know. Yeah. Yes, uh-huh, yeah, totally get it. <laughs> I think so, every artist will kind of go through, yeah, those ups and downs where you have your commercial pinnacle moment, which we experienced, but who cares? It's like, for me, I'm just like, sure, is that really the marker of in, indicator of success? It's all how you choose to look at success. Is it because you have big commercial spots or you know, on television or you're in mainstream publications. Like to me at the moment when that was happening, I was like, oh, this is proof of success and people are validating our achievements. But now I'm just like, I can wake up and I feel happy alone who I am naked and gross and like <laughs> read a book and, and like meditate and drink my coffee and go to the studio and no one might, maybe someone's not going to hear the 10 songs we worked on in the past few months, but it's no being completely okay with that process and accepting that that's, that's yeah, not putting the focus on all the, the macro stuff. I think that's that gonna, what comes with being in this industry for a very long time too. It, yeah. Yeah, it does. You lose yeah. the the illusion of like what makes you happy as an artist, what makes you feel successful. Because I was right there with you. It's like the numbers validating something mm -hmm. meant so much, and now I don't even check the numbers. Yeah. I I just don't. It's such an interesting thing though, too, because I imagine as well. First of all, I think the person who put it best was Gavin Rostow when he was on the show. He was talking about the fact he's like that's just called having a career. Because we were talking about his, his friendship with Keanu Reeves and, you know, how Keanu Reeves would be this guy who at one point everybody couldn't stand and then the John Wick movie came out. Now he's like the, you know, everybody's like, oh my God, he's like the perfect guy and everybody's in love with him. And we were just cracking yeah. up because it's like, that's the nature of if you do anything for 20 something years or 10 yeah. years or whatever, people are like, oh, you're the shit. Oh, you suck. Oh, yeah. you're the best. Dude, what the fuck is with this new album? And then do you have the patience <laughs> and, the, and the the courage to stick through those yeah. periods to know that there might be a, like, Cruella sucks phase again? I mean... Oh, yeah. yeah. I think we're still, like, we're always we're in Cruella sucks phase, but we're yeah. also always in Cruella's My Favorite Band phase. Yeah. Like, they're simultaneous. For the yeah. record, never fell out of love with Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> always loved him. Always. He even looks sexy throwing up in the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> How? How did he look pretty throwing up? How the fuck do you look pretty throwing up? Someone please tell me. I'm like sweating. I'm like mustache sweat happening. When I'm I haven't thrown up in a really long time. I don't drink that much anymore. I yeah. would imagine, you know, yeah. there, there's makeup, there's production, all of this right? to make so you look, you know? I mean, I wonder if like when you were throwing up after a night of drinking, if you had like a full crew. Good lighting. No yeah, one was everything. fanning me. No yeah. one was fanning me. You know, that maybe you would look, I don't know. I mean, I've yeah. never looked good throwing up, but you yeah. know, I, you know, I've never also had a crew of people do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've never felt good doing it either, so there you go. <laughs> this is true. This is true. But what I was getting, it's funny because I also think that, you know, what you were saying about having the patience to deal with it. Do you also find, because I talk about this with so many artists as well, very simply, as you get older, your priorities change. You, you have more experiences in your life and you have perspective that is just like, this doesn't mean shit. Mm. Yeah. So for you guys, talk about that. Have there been those moments? And obviously the lawsuit is something as well that right there is going to take you into, okay, you know, now you you have a different perspective on, on what the music means. Because look, it's also, I think for everybody, when something's easy, you're like, oh, okay, this is fun. It's a beat up. But the first time you have to kind of struggle through it, like you said, you have to push through and say, okay, this is what I want to do. I think when I think, when I when I hear the word priorities, I think so much of our early career was like you have to be seen, you have to look good, you have to go here. 
Um, you have to like get this picture with these DJs because being associated is cool. And I think after all these years of doing it, Jahan and I like roll up to the show half half awake <laughs> from like taking a nap, and we're like, "Hey guys, we're now we're on stage. Now we're doing the show. Now we're great. And now we're off stage. And then we just go back to the hotel, and we're okay with the not being." so um, involved with trying to be seen and, and am I explaining this properly like a, like a whole association thing I think for the longest time you thought like oh I have to be everybody's best friend and I have to be like the cool chick who's in all the pictures but it doesn't feel that way anymore and it's really really relieving and a feeling of freedom knowing that you can just like be and no one's gonna give you shit for it because as long as you don't then it's all good. Well, what's such a funny thing as well, and this particularly was the case with dance music for a while, but it was also the case with pop music, was this idea of you constantly had to feed this machine. And I always look at the idea of, of you know, and it's funny because as I've talked about with so many artists, Dead Mouse is a friend, and we've talked about this, Joel, and it's like you, like, you look at what Daft Punk did, and you can't manufacture that. Mm -hmm. You cannot go away for years and say, okay, cool, we're going to come back and be the biggest band mm -hmm. in the world. But the <laughs> thing is... You know, I think because it was based on true artistic integrity and the fact that they're just fucking perfectionists. Mm. And it's like, we're not going to do shit until we feel like it is 100% ready. And it's yeah. interesting because I think people have learned from that a bit. You look at Adele, too. I, I love Adele. She's amazing. And it's just like, yeah, I'll put out a record when I feel like it. Yeah. You know, like, I'm going to have a family. So for you guys, what I've also learned from talking with all these people about them, it makes them appreciate music more. So let's take it on to the new single. Did you find when you were writing that it is something... It's just more fun for you because it's something that you can do now when you want to do versus this, oh my God, if we don't do it today, everyone's going to forget yeah. us. And yeah. That is a very oh. real feeling too. What you just said. Yeah. Have felt it so many times. <laughs> I think, yeah, what you just mentioned is like this constant itch to feed the machine where you have to constantly be self-promoting and posting and say something about everything. Um, and be just be in everyone's faces. There's such a, like, just the, all this over, this influx of information. There's too much out there. It's overwhelming. Even the consumers of the content, the fans are overwhelmed. So that's why I, I think for us, you know, when we're embarking on this, the most recent phase of creating music, we made, we set a conscious intention where it's just like, let's not rush this process. Like, mm -hmm. why the fuck am I eating my breakfast in the car, driving to the studio? Like it doesn't make any sense to live our lives like that as if we're like we're we're setting we're, it's it's almost like this sense of like putting our lives so much on a timeline and controlling the outcome of things but in reality like none of us know how anything is a react, is going to react so there's no guarantee and in that process of being patient with experimentation and not feeling the pressure to have like a decent sounding demo after every single studio session kind of it allowed us to enjoy the process more. We actually allowed ourselves to have like conversations in the studio where sometimes like <laughs> three out of the five hours we're just talking about, you know, all kinds of weird shit like aliens and different theories of reality, but then also really superficial stuff too. <laughs> but yeah, it, I think to me it's just like not being, it's being okay with whatever the outcome is for me personally now. It's just like whatever is happens is meant to happen. It's this fine dance of ambition and discipline with also not giving a fuck. So it's the balance of like caring so deeply about something 
But then also just letting things just fucking happen. And John flow. always calls that structure in the chaos is what you oh, call it. Oh, but I think that's like a human term. I don't but know. Yeah, Someone, but yeah. I think yeah. we're actually like living that because we chose to be artists. We yeah. didn't choose to like have a nine to five or like work some sort of other job. We chose to be artists. And so we are embracing the more wacky, weird, free side of that more than ever now than we have in our entire careers. But didn't you also find that I would imagine very musically freeing? And I think, so I suck with titles, but it's, it's because I'm also going to butcher the, it's Mana or Maya? Yeah, Mana. Mana, okay. Because obviously it's something that you did explore so many different sounds. And it feels like, and it's funny because it feels in a lot of respects to me in a good way. Like it's, I was just at Real Street Festival in Anaheim. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No. It was a first year hip hop festival, like ASAP Rocky. It was a big deal because it was ASAP Rocky's first show back cool. since Sweden and yeah. Bacardi B and all these people. And the song feels more like a hip hop song in sort of the the lyrical sort of vibe, you know? Mm -hmm. So do you feel like it was just something that, you know, when you're at that point where you're not answering to somebody and you feel more comfortable, it also allows you to explore more musically? 100%. I, it's really interesting that you would say that because I think we both listen to so much music outside of electronic music that the influence will just subconsciously seep mm -hmm. in and unconsciously live within everything we do. So it's cool that you heard that and felt that. I haven't I, heard that yet. So oh, I'm sure I that's like the case that. though for most every artist. Yes. Though, like, because yeah. again, no artist, and especially now in this day and age of festivals, you know, no one gives a shit about genre titles anymore yeah. with the exception of like an old dying industry. True. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I sometimes, like, going back to structure and the chaos, it's, like, it's in the human language to, like, label things and categorize and and discuss, you know, whether you're on a Grammy panel. Is this dance music? Or is this, does this belong in the pop category? I'm like, who fucking cares? You like it? You're moving? Like, is that, yeah. So part of me sometimes just wants to strip away these la labels and just create from a place that feels good. Sometimes the answer is it just feels right. You know, it doesn't matter what the label is. But I, I do understand, I do get like why like humans are storytellers. That's what language is for. It connects us, sharing stories. But I think with Mana, going back to what you were saying about experimentation, we're definitely like when we're in the studio, there's more of a focus on stream of consciousness. It's just like what before bringing your rational mind in and just cock blocking your own ideas and other people's ideas. It's just like, let's try it. Let's try it. Let's throw shit at a wall. Let's gibberish it. it. Sounds like it's in a different language. Sounds like it's devil worshiping shit. Okay, we'll put lyrics to it later. You know? <laughs> so it's just doing what, because I think there's, there's so much truth that lies in the unconscious mind that our controlled minds are always putting, you're, we're putting ourselves in this like box, this very linear box that we sometimes don't really know why we have these like, these melodies that keep coming up are these phrases like the castle and the kingdom and this and like why are they coming up? It's saying it's our subconscious trying to tell us something. So all right, well, I just went sorry, way weird. <laughs> no, that's okay. It's not weird at all. But I have to ask an important yeah. question. You know, because I'm old enough to remember when there was the whole thing of the backwards masking in vinyl. And you know, if you listen to Led Zeppelin backwards, oh, you yeah. hear. So, oh, so yeah. now, yeah. now when Stairway you play when you play Cruella backwards, is when you play Mana backwards, are you going to hear these satanic messages Whoa. that sounded like devil worship? Yo, I mean, the song in its normal state <laughs> sound could it's a little frightening already. Um, we'll have to test that theory yeah. out. I don't actually know the answer. Now I'm extremely curious. That's, I'm cu that's cool. Yeah. I'm curious as well now. So you'll have to let yeah. us know that. You know? I think I'm like, and this is probably because we're both, I was just talking to my dad on the phone before we came here. And, and 
I was trying to, he was talking about like his sensitivities. I'm like, we're a sensitive family. We have it in our DNA. And because of that, it, it makes the world so beautiful and richer than it could be. Cause it could, everything from like the flower you walk by or like the texture of the wood, everything affects you so deeply. But at the same time, it's like you're always looking for hidden meanings of things. Mm-hmm. So when you bring up the Led Zeppelin thing, and it sometimes could be a curse in that way where it's just like everything has meaning. So it, in a way, it like fuels the music and it fuels the art because you want it to have deep meaning. You want it to be like to move you emotionally. But it goes back to this balance of like knowing when to also dip into the superficial and to be like pulled out <laughs> of this like the labyrinth of never ending complex thoughts that we all have. But I like that because it's funny, going back to what you were saying about the subconscious, I think most great art comes out of the subconscious. But what's really interesting about that then is since we've already talked about Incubus a couple of times, that Brandon, has, uh, I remember him telling me, and I thought this was fascinating, that him takes, it takes him two years to figure out what an Incubus album is about. And I always oh. thought that was so interesting. When you do work a lot from the subconscious... You don't always know what it comes at, you know, and especially when you're in the midst of making a record, you're like, wait, I don't really, you know, it's such a whirlwind of stuff. So it's interesting when you both go back now and listen to Mana, not backwards, but frontwards. (laughs) When you listen to Mana frontwards, what do you take from it? Are there things that that, that came out of there that kind of surprise you a little bit lyrically or that, you know, message that you weren't thinking about? And then you're like, okay, I see that now. I think it does surprise me lyrically sometimes because I'm like, we were very sassy that day. Okay, <laughs> a lot of attitude. What were we? I want to know exactly what we were feeling. I don't remember because it was just flowing out of us. But it is a side of me, I feel like, and maybe you too, that doesn't surface often because like every girl has a bad bitch within her, of course. <laughs> of course. Mine, mine does not. So do you. I'm like a soft soft-spoken child like I'm usually like very chill but like that side of me that day I'm like who who is she who is she so it's it's surprising in the best way yeah Mm, Yeah. and that's like a real part of you that exists within it's like we all I mean this goes back to the theme of the song it's like there are for me personally now when I think about this the meaning of the song because this might change in a year from now is like all of these aspects of the self exist within we're not one dimensional beings it's not just like hey I you know you know like I go to this studio and do vocal lessons and I exist as an artist in this career it's like no I also have a very primal cavewoman side of me that wants to run away to a forest and live in the trees you know it's like and then I also have a, the part of me that's always intellectualizing and theorizing things. So, so there's so many different aspects of the self. And I think becoming more in tune with that and being like the master of that and recognizing those within allows you to kind of know when to tap into those when you want to be the sassy bitch <laughs> or when you want to be the, like, the nurturer who listens and nourishes yourself and nourishes others. So it's okay. I had fun. I did read the Billboard piece, and I know that you said you can't really talk about what's coming, but I imagine there were several songs done in a in a sort of similar time period. Yes, actually, it's funny. Mana was the first song we wrote from the album. I want to say. What came? Nothing. Oh, I am not supposed to talk about an album. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think what? it's kind of. Oh, well. it's okay. oh well. It's out there. We can't take it back. But yeah, that was the first of the the chunk of songs that follows. So we were in very, very strange, interesting mindsets during writing this body of work. And so so I'm so curious going back to what you were just saying about being, you know, the nurturer and the bad bitch and having all those sides and the forest one, you know. So so oh, it, it, when you go through this body of work, 
that is not going to be a quote unquote album? <laughs> do you like, I mean, do you feel all those sides? Do you see all those sides in there? Even within songs, there are multiple sides. There's songs that go from a journey of going from like soft to like absolutely um, just like the most difficult side of yourself mm-hmm. to the most wonderful side of yourself within one song. I mean, mm-hmm. we really explored a lot with the concepts and different sides of ourselves on this body of work. So on this body of work, what are some of the songs that, again, going back to what we are talking about, the subconscious, mm-hmm. are there moments in there that when you go back and hear them that pleasantly surprise you that, you know, whether it's the, you know, bad bitch coming out that normally is not there or the nurture side or whatever mm-hmm. it is that, that, you know, and the themes that sort of emerged from the collective body of work. Hmm. Yeah, in hindsight now, I can look back and make sense of it. Sometimes it's just happening. It's just happening to mm-hmm. you, and you're just like, I'm going to, like, chant these weird, like, <laughs> <laughs> and, like, turn it into percussion. It just feels good in the booth, and it feels cathartic. But now looking back, it's like that must be this very animalistic maybe it is the masculine presence within me that maybe I normally don't get to play with and that was a ch- because because of learned gender what we learn about femininity and masculinity and that's a real part of me that needs an outlet so and 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 I think the less we can suppress things then the more I mean the more freeing it feels it's more genuine yeah yeah, yeah. I think there's also moments on this body of work that frighten me because there are parts of Jahan and I that are very similar that rarely surface and when they do it is it's a little frightening that like that mm-hmm. could come from my body and my brain and my subconscious but it's exciting at the same time it's really hard to talk mm-hmm. about until you hear the music someday but um there's <laughs> moments yeah <laughs> There's definitely moments where I look back and I'm like, wow, I really was feeling that. And it is a scary emotion to feel, to feel that hopeless or desperate or dark and mm-hmm. on the edge or whatever it is. It's, but it's a good way to remember the things you've been through and grow through them, too. That's what's the most incredible thing about making music is mm-hmm. that you have somewhere to put your pain, put your love, put your feelings. Like You have a physical place to put it. It's crazy. But I would imagine as well that, that you know, it's funny because I talk about this with so many artists as well, and that, you know, whenever you step outside yourself is kind of the most rewarding as well. So the moments that you found frightening are probably also exhilarating. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yes. And knowing that you don't have to just experience those emotions alone in your head because we're all reflecting emotions upon each other. So it's like when you ask me to verbalize this something, it awakened something within me that I couldn't articulate before. It was just this elusive feeling I had. So when she says something, or when I listen to another song and I hear another artist verbalizing it, or when I see a piece of art, I'm like, I that speaks a universal language. And that's the beauty of art and music is it just connects people. We all, if we take away language, emotions are still something we feel. My, where, no matter where you're from, whatever ethnic background, religious background, what gender you associate yourself with, it's something we, these are human emotions. So hearing, knowing, seeing that translated into song kind of gives you this feeling of like, okay, I'm not the only one who thinks that. And especially coming from Yasmin too. So. But it's so interesting yeah. for both of you when you look back, and we'll wrap up in a minute, but when you look back and think about those artists that spoke to you, that, that made you have those feelings of not being alone. And especially as you, you know, write more and, and open yourself up, 
what happens a lot too, it's funny, you said that, you know, there was hip hop, that was a big influence. What happens as well is you go back and as you get older, you, you revisit a lot of stuff. Oh yeah. You know, so for both of you, when you think about those artists that, that made you feel like you weren't alone or their songs, what are they that come to mind? Mm. And again, it's something because they'll cycle mm. through your life as well. Yeah. Yeah. Incubus is definitely yeah. one of them. <laughs> like, I would have said that if we had mentioned them or not. They're one of my favorite bands of all time. They're one of Jahan's favorite bands. We love them so much. Brandon Boyd is actually, like, one of those lyricists that made me want to write music mm. because his lyrics are straight poetry. He's incredible. I don't know what other planet he came from, but he's <laughs> absolutely amazing. Is there one Incubus song in particular that when you feel like, okay, when it speaks to, like, oh my God. you know what I'm talking about? Like, <laughs> That feeling that when you're hearing a song, it almost feels like the artist is speaking directly yep. to you, even though they've never met you. Yep. I know which one you're going to say, because well, I'm going to say the same one. Well, we were looking at the stars the other night, and you uh, referenced this, the sky looks like a Wish you were here, but with holes I love that yeah, song. Yeah. But I actually like the darker, more fucked up Incubus mm. songs, like 11 a.m. Yeah. That was the, uh. you know, on iTunes, when you could see the play count, mm -hmm. that was the most played song in our iTunes for like three yeah. years. It had like hundreds more plays than any other song in our iTunes <laughs> library. We rinsed that song, and it makes me feel such crazy shit, and first time I heard that, I was probably 12 or 13, and I didn't know what Brandon mm. was singing. Yeah. I'm like, I feel that pain, too. I do. Mm. Even though I didn't. But yeah, that song. That song does it for me. I like what you said about kind of like revisiting songs as you age. That's the cool part about aging. It's like you can revisit records that maybe when you're, when I had more of like a superficial level of thinking and consuming art and music at age like 15. I was so drawn to just like such deep music like Radiohead and Incubus. And and now when I revisit, revisit those songs, they take on new meaning for me mm -hmm. where I really dive in. I'm like, wow, I think I kind of get what Tom York was talking about in this. At least I'm going to think I do. And um, yeah, for me, it's, it's definitely Reckoner. Radiohead is just like my go-to song to kind of like like the saddest it song in the whole world it is but there's there's something like really melancholy about it but also really it's like a sweet melancholy that i feel when i listen to it where i just want to be alone and it makes me feel this like sweetness towards my soul that i feel like is sometimes living in a parallel life next to me that i, I feel very estranged from and that song feels almost like a gateway to that so having those records that could get you to that place is really that's the magic of music. So when fans do come up to us and they're like, your song saved my life, I feel like, yes, we've heard that a lot and it's easy to fall in the jaded mindset, but I always have to remember myself. I feel that way about other music. So this is a real, you know, this is a real stopping fake humble Jahan when I'm like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> yes, it's a, thank you. I'm forever feeling gratitude for you feeling that way towards our music. If anyone says that to us, because I've been there as a, still a fan. Always a yeah. fan. Yeah, yeah. Always stay a fan. Yeah. I talk about it with people all the time. If you don't still geek out, you just go home. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I geek out over the yeah. silliest shit. I'm like a child. I, yeah. I've gone through phases where I've kind of been like less amused. And it's kind of, it's sad. Life becomes flat. It becomes very gray. But the, I mean, that's, it's a cyclical and thing. There are moments that you go through that depending on what else is happening. And then moments where you come out of it. So for each yeah. of you, and then we'll wrap up in a minute because your meter is going to run out. I'm ah! monitoring that. No. So what is, um, what was the last moment for each of you that you geeked out, whether it was meeting someone, hearing a song, whatever it was? Mm. Uh, wow. 
We did this, um, this is so silly, I can't remember his full name now, which is crazy because I'm just having a glitch in my brain, but we did this Refinery29 event in New York a couple months ago, and they had a speaker there that was from the Food Network. His name is Samuel, and I can't remember his last name. Wow. Um, he's an African man who actually was adopted by a Swedish family, so he had a crazy story, and I grew up watching him on the Food Network. I mean, that's all. I watched SpongeBob and the Food Network. Those are my two <laughs> things that I was obsessed with, and like seeing him in person, I was like, what? You're in front of me right now? I used to watch you cook. Like you're one of the reasons I love to cook. And so that I was geeking inside very calmly on the outside, but inside I was like, what the fuck? This is not real. Yeah. Okay, quick side progression before we come to yours. The specialty. What's what's the like the the main thing to cook? Oh, I just like cooking ethnic food of all sorts. I love making any kind of curry that's like a Thai curry or a Pakistani curry. Doesn't matter. I just love anything with excess bold ridiculous flavor i don't do plain old food like i don't i don't fuck with like just boring bland food i like explosions of flavor uh, what is scarlet's favorite food that you cook everything yeah <laughs> everything she she'll lick lotion off my legs she likes my toe salt like she does just, love this, ice yeah. cream though and i don't make ice cream but she loves yeah. ice cream. i do have to say in this room if there's a camera my hands were on my heart and I was closing my eyes because the, the visual experience that Yasmin was describing the food, it is, it is to die for. Great. I'm yeah, it brings starving, tears to so my yeah. eyes. Sometimes <laughs> I literally, yeah, it's so good. Cool. Yeah. What's your geek out moment? Oh, okay, I'm a big, big fan of just like mountains in general. And I try to climb mountains like three to five days a week. So last time I had a geek out moment, I was, this is going to sound so trippy. I was not on any drugs, but it was the sun was setting. I was climbing mount, climbing a mountain um, in the Hollywood Hills area last week. And the sun was setting and the sky was fuchsia. And I was mm -hmm. like, you could fly. Maybe you could fly. I didn't jump down the mountain, but I was like, it feels like I could if I really put my mind to it. And I looked around and like, no one's watching me. I look like a fucking freak right now because I'm like super manning my arms out. And it just felt like it, it didn't take anything. It didn't take any sort of like you know, like watching of things or media. It was purely just the sunset and the mountain and me alone on the mountain and like thousands of years we're going to be fossils on the mountain. So Thousands yeah. of years, the rate we're going like next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. I think about that a lot though. There's a great poem. I wish I could recite it, but like someday we're not even going to be fossils. Like even the fossils are going to be, I don't know, I'll leave it at that. Cool. Anything you guys want to add I did not ask you about? Oh my God, we covered so many cool things that went on such a journey. Um, I guess I all I have to say is stay tuned because all that stuff we can't talk about is happening soon. <laughs> and thank you for like being interested in diving deep into the minds of artists, fellow humans, because I think a lot of the time we're talking about this with social media, you're just seeing all the surface level stuff. But it's it's fascinating going deeper, and you seem to be interested in that, and I respect that. I can't do I the, 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 the surface. I can't. It yeah. makes me want to shoot myself. Yeah, go on Wikipedia <laughs> if you want that. Yeah, I yeah. can't. It, it makes it like, it, it's just, it's so fucking yeah. boring. And yeah, everybody asks the same questions. Yep. And it's just so monotonous. Unless it's about dogs. Cool oh, talking about dogs. All day. All day. <laughs> all right. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, yeah, that's a whole other thing. You know. Yeah. It's really funny. All right. Are we off now? Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you have been with us this week on My Turning Point with special guest Cruella. So much fun, as always, to talk with them about their new music, what they have coming up for 2020. It's going to be a big year for them, and we are honored that they were here to talk with us about it. Thanks.
a parent with cancer, you're probably worried that your child is feeling scared, sad, or alone, when all you want is for them to just feel like a kid. Camp Kesem is a free week-long overnight camp for children ages 6 to 18 who have a parent facing cancer and was created for kids like yours to have a joyful and empowering summer. Kids have a blast together enjoying camp activities, surrounded by a compassionate community of friends. Register your child for a free life-changing adventure at kesem.org camp. If you look around, there are so many ways to make a difference. At Capella University, our FlexPath format gives you a different way to earn your degree. Take courses at your speed. Move on whenever you're ready. Education should fit your life. Learn more at capella.edu. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 